Hey there, Cape Cod. It's high noon on Wednesday. Time for another episode of Life with Gwen. This is the Cape Cod Times lifestyle talk show where we discuss issues that affect our lives, meet the neighbors, and learn about new things. Today is the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It happened in Memphis, Tennessee, outside a hotel room. He was there to take to take a stand with the sanitation workers who were striking in that city. On the 50th anniversary, we have the paper has my colleagues um, on the print side have spent weeks reaching out to the Cape to learn more about Dr. King's legacy as a civil rights leader and to talk about where we are on race relations and social justice. This all appeared in a three-part series that ran Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And if you missed it, uh, it's still available at our website at capecodtimes.com slash MLK. In reading the series, uh, which was written by uh, Kathy Scrizzy Driscoll and Jeff Spillane and supported by videographers, photographers, uh, statistician. Um, we, we were lucky to have these folks who, who reached out and found a lot of people on the Cape who are working to make the Cape a, a more equitable and uh, socially just place for everyone. So you, one of the things that I noticed in, in the series is that the folks in Orleans are trying to start up conversations about race and social justice um, and to have those conversations in every community on the Cape and Islands. Some places uh, have been doing that for years. So one of the folks who was quoted in the series was kind enough to join us today, Stephanie. This is Stephanie Seals. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Gwen. Thanks for having me. And um, we are you know, here to talk about a wide range of topics because this is just one of those uh, conversations. I want to invite you, as always, to send us comments and questions. We'll do our best to answer them if, if we know the answers. If not, we'll find out. And um, also, I wanted to say that Stephanie is from Falmouth, and uh, Falmouth has really taken a lead um, on doing things as a community and having conversations that we don't always have. Right. Um, you are one of 3.9% of the Cape and Islands <laughs> population who are black. However, we are not asking you to speak for everyone. Thank you. We are asking you to be one of the stories that, that we start with. So um, tell me a little bit about, uh, and I should say that Stephanie has a um, Master of Arts degree in children's literature, and she's an assistant at the Falmouth Public Library. Mm -hmm. um, I think you work at all the branches? Or? I work at the main branch in the children's room and the north branch. Mm -hmm. So you get to meet a lot of members of the yes. community. And one of the, uh, one of the stories that was covered in the series that we did uh, is the fact that Falmouth Reads Together has a very interesting book this year. Just yes. tell us a bit about that. Sure. So the Falmouth Reads Together pick for 2018 is Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And I'm sorry I forgot it, but you can you can see it perhaps in that picture. Um, it's a very timely book. It came out, I think, in 2015, and it's written as a letter from Coates to his teenage son about his experience growing up as a Black man in America. So 
it seems like a perfect choice for this time we're in right now. And then the program extends to young adult and uh, and uh, even younger children with three other books, right? Yeah, so we always have um, companion titles for teens um, and children. So the young adult companion title is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. is an excellent book. Um, the middle grade book is The Jacket by Andrew Clements. And the picture book is The Other Side by Jacqueline Woodson. And not only are people reading together uh, in Falmouth uh, on an issue that is is strongly related to race, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you have some events that get people together. Um, so that they and there's one tomorrow on Thursday. Yeah. So tomorrow um, at six thirty p.m. at the Falmouth Public Library, we're having an event entitled "Race on Cape Cod: A Panel Discussion" with three panelists um, who are going to talk about race on Cape Cod. So I'm very excited about that. The thing that I found interesting in reading the series and also in speaking with you before we started is that there is no one conversation. There's no one answer. It's mm-hmm. a it's a process and it's a complex one, you know, where we all have to, as you said, examine our own feelings. And, and um, I found very interesting what you said about uh, Dr. King's legacy and some of the the ways that that reflects on you. So I wonder now um, you are I'm guessing in your 30s. Yes. So mm-hmm. and the reason I ask that is because that means that that Dr. King who who had died at 39 so and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Memphis by the way will be uh, ringing church bells 39 times to to mark mm-hmm. his death in that city today um, and. Uh, where you are in your 30s, he had been gone for nearly two decades mm-hmm. um, before you were born. Right. And I'm wondering about how um, his message came into your life. Um, well, I don't remember a time when Dr. King wasn't in my life as just more than a cultural icon, I think, for Black families, as just a person who is so important to um like where we where we are now as a country as far as like the evolution of civil rights and all of those things. So I can't point to a specific time. And I think that speaks to what he did and how important he is that he was just kind of always there. Mm-hmm. I know that feeling that, that you're discussing. Um, I, I think with him and and um, losing uh, Robert Kennedy the same year mm-hmm. that, that that's a, a time that's fixed in, in people's minds. So what um for you personally tell me a little bit about yourself about your family and about how um dr king's legacy and the work that he left to be done um you know because he very much had said that that we're just starting here mm-hmm. you know we can't get comfortable with the accomplishments we've made or we won't finish making them I, mm-hmm. that's a terrible paraphrasing but i i think it's pretty accurate idea. actually so. sure sure so i'm from southern california that's where i was born and raised and um you know went to college i moved out to the east coast for grad school in boston and my family are actually all immigrants which i am very proud of but it's something that's also a big issue today um and connected i think to the civil rights and racial justice in general. And for me, um, Dr. King is obviously like a huge inspiration and an important figure when I look at the racial justice work I'm doing, the social justice work I'm trying to do and how I wanna go about it and kind of like the goals I wanna have. It helps me to see 
like what he did, how he did it, um, how he got people to listen to him, even though people didn't love him back then like they do now. So there that I think came out in the series also that that there was there's another side people say, you know, and I think you brought something that you yes. wanted to read an excerpt from. Yeah. So I brought a um, letter from Birmingham jail which is pretty famous, but I don't think this part is brought out so much. Kind of the image we have of Dr. King now seems um, more sanitized in that it leaves out a lot of his more revolutionary qualities and a lot of the things he was really calling on people to do. Just so seeing benevolence and, and there was right, more. Right, right. And it's, I don't, it's not like a, it's not a problematic thing. It's just that he was challenging people to challenge themselves. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's not an easy thing to do. So I can read okay. this paragraph really quick. Uh -huh. Sure. Um, from letting from Birmingham jail. I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the last few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the, regret, the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to just more devoted to order than justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a more convenient season, Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. It's very moving and I, I think brings up the point that you made about um, people, a lot of people getting into a point where they say, well, I'm colorblind, mm -hmm. you know, color doesn't matter to me. And you were saying that actually you'd like to see that move to another level. Right, because I think that sort of mindset is problematic because it's saying like we, we all need sameness. And that's not, I don't think that was the goal of Dr. King. And I don't think that's the goal of most people working for racial justice today. It's so that we, the goal is so that we can all live, you know, live free and live happily and healthily and all that stuff as we are. And we can start at an even an even playing field. And it doesn't have to be that we don't see color. It's that color doesn't have these negative stigmas and these problems attached to it. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. It does make sense. It, it makes sense absolutely that uh, people appreciate their culture and are appreciated for it. And that everyone starts on that level playing field. So yeah. we have a, a comment coming in I'd like to read. Uh, Elias Lieberman says, so grateful for this program, eager to hear this important conversation. Uh, thank you. And that's my rabbi. So, oh. <laughs> so thank you, Rabbi. <laughs> Thanks, Elias. So, um, there is a, a lot of uh, program. There are a lot of programs and and uh, education, you know, that go on at, at the Falmouth Jewish Congregation. Definitely, yeah. So it's and and you know when we were talking, you said, "Oh, I I'm nervous about live TV," and you know, <laughs> I'm the one that says "um" all the time <laughs> as I'm thinking of the next question. So I I uh, don't think that you have anything to worry about. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks but you know what? All those viewers, everybody out there, they're here because they want to listen. And we're having a conversation so that people can listen in. And that's what we're doing. So 
I wanted to talk to you a little bit um, about the work that's being done, and I have a brochure here. You just uh, finished, as yeah. part of Falmouth Reads Together, you just finished doing an open mic night. That was on the 31st. Yeah. And tell me a little bit. I, I understand that the turnout was so good that you didn't have enough chairs. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was packed, which was excellent. And the atmosphere is just so warm and welcoming. I think when I had the idea to have the open mic, it's kind of a way to use the arts to explore these racial justice, social justice themes that sometimes makes it easier to approach that, you know, leaves people more open to hearing what other people have to say in a more, it's a more comfortable and organic way. So we had, um, you know, poets, musicians, spoken word artists, both amateur and professional. And I think everybody brought something important to the table. It was just an excellent night. I've gotten nothing but amazing feedback at how, how it felt like a very needed um, sort of conversation and safe space for people. So I'm glad that, it, that we did it. Did you, this is going to sound odd, but did you learn anything? Did you bring away ideas on how the uh, conversation about race can be can be held in a, a easier, better way? Uh, I mean, I think it helped me to see so many white people in the audience willing to listen to who was the artist world predominantly black, willing to sit and listen and hear what um, they had to say and really kind of engage emotionally with it. So it, it kind of more gave me hope, I think, than anything, which is sorely needed these days, so. You guys are, uh, in Falmouth, are a bit ahead of the curve because ah. you have been <laughs> speaking, all right, I'll, I'll do the Jewish poo-poo kanahara, you know, when I say that, which means not to bring bad luck on it, but, but you have been speaking in town. I know uh, several times on the Lower Cape have been as well, mm -hmm. um, talking about race. And it's not an easy thing to talk no. about. You know? No, and I think it, the way society, our society has been um, dealing with race is to not deal with it. So we, do, we are not equipped with the language to have these conversations and it can feel really uncomfortable. But I think the only way to get through that is to have them like we are now. So Great. Yeah. Look at us having a conversation. <laughs> we have another comment. Uh, Christine Hall says, hello from London, UK. Hello, Christine. Mm -hmm. And she also says that after all these years, I still get emotional. I, I believe she, she means about uh, race. And, and I don't know Christine except for her involvement in the show. But uh, thank you, Christine, for checking in. And um, there, when we spoke, you said that there are a few things I said, what can I, you know, as a, as a, as someone who's white, I am born with white privilege. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to understand, uh, well, maybe understand, but I'm not going to be able to experience what you do, mm -hmm. um, as being a, a small minority, which you wouldn't be in your, in your native Southern California now. Well, not in the same way. Yeah. Yeah because it's well, majority minority there, not majority black necessarily, but when you put all the minority groups together. People of color? Yes, in general. Yes, mm -hmm. so I actually saw the phrase um, POC the other day, Yeah. and I hadn't seen that before. Oh so. yeah, it's a pretty used kind of acronym mm -hmm. for people of color. Everything's an acronym today. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's like counting or math. I have to figure out what they mean, yeah. you know? So um, anyway, you, I asked you, if I'm born with that white privilege and I can't, um, 
you know, I, I, I can't change that. Mm-hmm. At, you know, maybe eventually, we hope mm-hmm. eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked you what you thought were some ways to, to um, open your heart more and, and uh, really understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I have a few things. Um, I've given a great deal of thought, which is why I have answers right away. But I have a few things I usually tell people when they ask me that. And the first is to just listen to people of color and Native people and what we have to say about our experiences and believe us. That's like a huge thing. And the second is to start examining yourself, like internally really sit with yourself and have those honest you know, conversations about whatever internalized bias you haven't, because there's no way to not have that growing up in this country, growing up with white privilege. And then um, also to keep your community accountable, so your family, your friends, coworkers, whatever. And I think the only way to do that effectively is to first keep yourself accountable and then to get involved. You know, like there, there are different organizations like Engage Falmouth and um, No Place for Hate Falmouth, and I'm sure other places on the Cape that I don't necessarily know about, but um, they're doing the work and there are things that you can get involved with to also be a part of the work. So those are kind of like the four things I would give people. Well, that's good advice because it it's something that you can do actively. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think if we met other than through the series and mm-hmm. through the show that, that I would, you know, we would become friends over over our common interests, mm-hmm. uh, although there are some years separating us, so age be wouldn't friends. be one of them. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and uh, I think I was 10 when Dr. King died. And um, we would become friends first, and then I would become comfortable enough to to get into a conversation about race. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think it would be the first thing that, that I would approach unless we were here on the anniversary of Dr. King's death, trying to, and when I say death, it's murder, his murder, yeah. his assassination, um, trying to understand more. So, mm-hmm. so it, it, if you have a community group that you get involved with, like the ones you just mentioned, you, you have someone who's sort of setting that agenda for you and you have a place to discuss it. Right, like a safe space to have these conversations and start getting used to talking about things and figure out ways to act. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you, in, in some ways you've already answered this by, by reading from Dr. King's mm-hmm. letter, but what things do you think that Dr. King might be proud of that we've we've accomplished and what are the things that you think he might be working on if he were here? It's a huge question. Uh-huh. That's a huge question. I mean, you I only have to I, answer a little piece of it. Okay. One I, story. I don't know for sure, obviously, but I think, um, I mean, everything that came from the work he did and came after, like as a direct result of the, the civil, civil rights, rights movement, yeah. um, I'm sure he would be very proud of. And I think he would be proud of, especially this past uh, November, I think with the past elections, we saw a lot um, at the local and the state level of, um, you know, minor- different minorities, people coming into office. And that was amazing to see mm-hmm. so many, uh, more than we've seen before, a lot of groundbreakers being the first of whatever their, um, you know, marginalized identity is in, in their political um, place. So I think he would be proud of that. As far, as far as what we have left to do, there's definitely, Everything. yeah, yeah, it does feel like that. There's a, there's a lot left to do, and I don't, but I don't think, I would hope that, you know, he would still have 
some kind of hope that we can get there eventually. Like I'm generally don't feel like I'm a very optimistic person about like, you know, seeing racial justice in this country, but it's important work. And I feel optimistic that one day, even if I'm not here to see it like generations, you know, after me or whatever, um, there can be people that won't have to have these conversations eventually, even if that's not within my lifetime. So I think um, he would still be, you know, doing the work and trying to make sure that, you know, people have their rights and everybody can kind of really live with that life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness and not just a, an illusion of it, a real, actual, mm-hmm. concrete life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So, I think that uh, one of the things, it was interesting, uh, when Orleans brought in uh, someone who worked on social justice issues um, and asked, how can we be a better community? Um, one of the things that came up was that uh, the community members needed to establish a relationship with the local police department. Mm-hmm. And I would think that that would be very, very important because, you know, I and I know I'm speaking as a white person, but uh, I have friends and I know people. Um, it is in some parts of the country it is actually you know, frightening to to have to be a young black man, especially, mm-hmm. I think, and uh, that would seem like something that really to to make our community safer uh, for for black people, but also for the police to to find a way to have a um, a good conversation with authority figures. Yeah, I definitely agree, and I think there's a lot more um, with young black girls and women that we don't get as much. Um, you know, press as mm-hmm. as the boys and the men, but are equally important. But I think as far as like building relationships with law enforcement, yeah, like if you, you know, are a police officer like on the beat and you know everyone in the neighborhood, that's going to be a very different experience than being out there and, you know, you don't know who's out there and whatever. So it seems to me like that would be um, at least one step towards, you know, having less of these situations where people are being murdered and whatnot so i think that's and we have community yeah community um just like getting that relationship there to be more solid and more safe and i know we have two police officers in falmouth who are liaisons to no place for hate and it's been great to have them at our different like racial justice events and stuff and it's a kind of a comfort to me to know that they care enough to be present and to be a part of this organization. So that's, I think that's like kind of what you're talking yes, about. Yes, exactly. And, you know, it's challenging to have community policing um, in a, a big sprawling area like ours, mm-hmm. but through events like you're, the ones you're talking about and through forums and, and uh, you know, coffee with the chief, um, they're, there are different ways of doing community right. policing. Mm-hmm. You know, I I actually grew up in in cities, so uh, before I came here, mm-hmm. so in in those places you could have an officer on the beat and that kind of thing. And certainly, if you know someone, you're a lot right. uh, in a lot better position when you know when things get tense, when someone gets in trouble or, or there's violence. Mm-hmm. You know, so <clears throat> excuse me, I uh, time for our water. Excuse water me for break. a moment. You have um, spent a lot of time with children's literature, Mm -hmm. so if we could switch gears for a a moment and talk about books that have come out about Dr. King and his life and his work. Uh, Is there something, you know, any books that you could recommend, particularly 
in your specialty at the children's level? Yeah, um, there, there are lots of great ones that I think my favorite is uh, Martin's Big Words by Doreen Rappaport, illustrated by Brian Colliers. And that one is, I mean, she just does a great job of making it accessible to younger kids. And I used it when I used to teach kindergarten, and it was a great way to have this conversation with my you know, five and six-year-old students who are, of course, younger than I am. So they mm. they may know about Dr. King, but they didn't understand like about segregation and all that stuff. And I still don't think they understood. They're very confused about why you, why that would make a difference. But it was a great um, sort of... That's kind of a good thing, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Like, if you was, don't know about segregation... Well, it's kind of amazing to me to have that conversation with them because I was like, well, because most of them were white. We did have some racial and ethnic diversity, but most of them were white. And it was like, well, I wouldn't be able to be your teacher if it was, you know before the civil rights legislation went through, I'd say legislation, but whatever. Yeah. And they were just like, what? Like they didn't, like they could not conceive why that would make any sense. And so, I mean, I think it is a good thing mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's a hopeful thing. And I think that book was like a great door to be able to have that conversation with them and get them thinking about these things. Great, so if parents, uh, teachers yeah. may want to, to look at that book and many others, mm -hmm. um, Let's see, we have another comment from Elias Lieberman, and he says that uh, Stephanie has helped me to understand that white people cannot and should not expect pe people of color to tell them how to, do I have a second page? <laughs> Thank you. How to overcome their racist attitudes or unconscious expressions. It is incumbent upon those of us who are white to do the work, as Stephanie noted. Oh, thank you, so, Elias. So, anyway, I do think though that that not being afraid to have the conversation is is part of where it starts. Definitely. You know, I said, uh, for example, I asked you before the show, um, do you would you want me to identify you as black or as African American? That was a conversation mm -hmm. we had, and uh, um, you want to tell me what you told me? Yeah, sure. Um, coming from a family that's not from here, and I've had a lot of conversations with other black friends who are. Um, immigrants are first generation like I am, and we prefer black because it's a more global term, you know, and black people everywhere are black, even though that term itself is problematic. Uh, but um, for us, African-American means black people from the United States, like whose families have been here for generations. But I have friends who want to be called African-American and they're usually from here, but it's just, you know, it's it's different for different people. And I think like the fact that you asked is a huge thing, right? Like you didn't assume and you gave me that agency to say, well, I prefer this or that. That's like a, a big deal. So if you're meeting someone and uh, if you're talking with someone, the an honest asking a mutual respect is really what we're, we're looking for. And the series offers... Uh, you know, offers many outlets to begin the conversation and, uh, and, and which I, you know, I'm kind of proud of us for doing this because, yeah, because it does take time to, uh, to, to sort of get into the issues, you know, our, our conversation, if we got together to talk about books, which is one reason I, I chose you oh, because you. I'm the books editor and it's, uh -huh. it's, you know, I said, oh, we'll have a lot in common. But if um, we got together to talk about books, it, you know, I wouldn't, it would be like a topic oriented thing, mm -hmm. but, but you can also make those conversations, you know, starting with yourself as, as a white person or, or you know, 
and and listening and doing all that um, that we talked about and that Rabbi Elias mm -hmm. talked about. Um, have you have you done ish, um, events with with them over at the Falmouth Jewish Congregation? Yes, I did one um, about books for kids with Jewish protagonists, um, which if there's any people that make books out there, we could use a lot more. But um, yes, we did that. And then um, Elias is part of the No Place for Hate Famous Steering Committee. So we mm. work together a lot on uh, different events with them too. So. It's great. It's, it's interesting because uh, I think that that is another, um, you know, racial religious group, you know, the Jews who, who need to um, identify themselves and, and and make their community within the community you know so um i don't know if you found that there were some common commonalities there definitely definitely mm -hmm. i think all oppressed people have <laughs> some unfortunate commonalities that hopefully we will have different more positive ones in the future i think what you said about the leadership is certainly important because it's bringing another perspective to to the issues that that come before us and and it seems there are a lot of issues you know you mentioned immigration being of concern mm -hmm. um there are a lot of things that are on the table now that our legislature is dealing with or not dealing with whichever they're yeah, doing either one on mm -hmm. so um is there anything that we missed i had made this big list oh i did want to um say that i thought this was a a nice uh, illustration and icon that was made by uh, uh, Pamela. Let's see, let me get the name right here. Um, by Pamela Chatterton Purdy, who has uh, made icons of many of uh, people of color and uh, has uh, worked on this book. She herself and her husband, uh, Reverend Purdy, are are working on, um, I think, dispelling white privilege and their own as well as everyone else's um it uh, i don't want to speak for them but mm -hmm. it was an interesting image and um i wanted to know if there was anything else that we do you you have a better memory than me i don't know about that i'll Is probably remember as soon as the camera goes off i'll probably remember five things and i think we i think that happens every week you know there's a lot of a lot of great things that we covered and i hope that can be of help to people to have these conversations so so if you are interested in making this a more socially just and equitable world, reach out to your community, reach out through your library, perhaps, mm -hmm. you yeah, know, this definitely. is something that get involved and we will all remember Dr. King by continuing his work. And I want to thank you all for commenting. I want to thank you for being with us on Life with Gwen. If you if your friends, obviously you guys are watching, but if your friends miss this show, you can see it on our website. It's capecodtimes.com slash lifewithgwen, or you can also listen to it by following the podcast, and it'll be downloaded for you if you'd rather listen in the car. Stephanie, thanks so much, and thank I will you, see Gwen. you at the library. Yes, I'll see you there. Yeah. Thank you.